I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Hearing those words makes me love Jesus even more and want to follow him and trust him even more. His commandment that the disciples, that we, love one another is part of his farewell speech to the disciples before he was crucified. Jesus knew he was going to die, and he knew also that he had a pretty good following. He knew that if he chose to, he could have asked them to fight for him, and they would have done it. They might have even kept him alive in their efforts. Of course, some of them would have died in the process. And he loved them far too much for that. Not to mention that he knew that it was not God's will. Rather than disobey God, rather than risk the life of his disciples whom he loved, Jesus chose to be killed. And not only that, but remember that Jesus had been working for years at this point to reform people's understandings of God. Jesus had been working for years to help restore and reform people's understanding of their relationship to God and of their relationship to each other. He'd been working for years to show people that love and faith and grace are at the heart of our life. For the people of Israel, he didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law through love and faith and grace. For the Gentiles who were added to Jesus' movement after his resurrection, he came to show them as well that love for one another, faith in God, grace given by God, accepted by us and re-given to one another, is the way of life. The way of life abundant and life everlasting which he gives to us. This movement of Jesus, this movement of love and faith and grace which he had spent years working on, was just getting started as he was about to be killed. And rather than choose to live on himself, he chose to trust this movement to his fledgling disciples. Rather than risk their lives, he loved them so much. Rather than have them take the sword up against another whom he also loved. That is the Jesus whom we love, the Jesus whom we follow, the Jesus in whom we have our faith. The Jesus who loves us and gives us grace, that we might receive his grace and give it to others as well. Love one another, Jesus said. Have faith in me and follow me, even when you doubt. Receive grace to forgive all of your misdeeds, grace to heal you from the shame of the past, grace to offer to others just as I have offered it to you. Such is the life and the community which Jesus gave for us. And when I think on that, on that community for which Jesus gave his life, I cannot help but love Jesus and want to continue to be his disciple. That is what I see when I see the church, not an institution. There's a paradigm shift 
in that when we can see the institution of the church as the church. But it is not. The shift is to see us as that community of people whom Jesus loves. Last week, Kristen, Kristen and I watched Spotlight, which was the uh, last year's uh, winner of the Academy Award winner for Best Picture. And it told the story of the Boston Globe newspaper breaking the story of the immense system of abuse of children within the Roman Catholic Church. And as I'm watching this movie and then thinking about what Jesus commanded his disciples, I kept thinking, how in the world did Jesus' community of love and faith and grace become an institution so powerful and corrupt that children around the world were being abused by priests for decades with near total impunity? Now, the reasons are many and vast and would take, well, several hours if we really wanted to get into it, the entirety of church history, to fully understand. We're not going to do that. But I am going to talk about one particular culprit that allowed this to happen. And that is the near deification of clergy. Children often thought of clergy as God or at least of speaking for God, and adults did about the same. Clergy were put on a pedestal throughout the institution of the church, so much so that no one dared go against them. People ended up under the thumb and the rule of the clergy. And it wasn't just the clergy's fault. The people also elevated them there. There was a partnership in raising the clergy up so much so that they were under the people were under the clergy's thumb claiming this place almost above Jesus within the church in the total opposite way in which Jesus led his church while the clergy were elevated above who they actually were mere mortals Jesus descended that was Jesus way Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2, 6-8 Over the centuries, the church began exalting their leaders. So much so that when corruption and abuse became systemic, no one would stop it because they couldn't go against these exalted people. Now this is one example of how far the church often can be from the community of love and faith and grace which Jesus began. It's a graphic example, but there are many ways that we stray from the community of love and faith and grace that Jesus began. And we also need to remember, lest we cast aspersions at the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church is also a wonderful church, full of people and clergy of love and faith and grace. I simply brought this up as 
this one graphic example of how divergent the church can be from the community that Jesus began. And looking at this way that this example of how did this happen, this exaltation of the clergy, we don't get to just point to Rome for that one either. Lest we ignore the log in our eye for the sake of the speck in someone else's, we often elevate clergy in the Episcopal Church too. I've often heard that clergy are held to a higher standard of behavior than others. And I continually counter that clergy are not held to a higher standard. People may actually hold clergy accountable to the standards of behavior to which they don't hold themselves or others accountable. But there's not a different standard of behavior for clergy and for everyone else. If there were, that would be an institutionalized system of ignoring the log in our own eyes for the sake of the speck in someone else's. Elevating the clergy, thinking that we hold them to a higher standard, goes against what Jesus taught and is not the way of the community that he founded. He didn't set himself above everyone else. He descended. He didn't set his apostles above everyone else. He said to become a servant. Jesus' church is not a place where we hold one another to various standards of living at all, in actuality. Jesus' church is not a place of keeping score with one another and keeping track of sins. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. This system of keeping track of sins and trying to make right for our sins to God is finished. No more sacrifices for sins. No more tallies. No more keeping score. No more gospels of sin management. These gospels of sin management have continued to pervade the church. People thinking that our prime purpose in the church is to do better, sin less, and to go to heaven when we die. Even with Jesus' help, such a gospel basically puts Jesus in the role of a ticket puncher. If you've believed in Jesus well enough and behaved well enough, even with his help, then Jesus punches your ticket and you get to go to heaven when you die. We'd like to add that it's not because of anything I do, it's purely because of the grace of Jesus, but then by how we talk about it, by how we live, these gospels of sin management often basically make it you're earning your way to heaven. You're doing enough that Jesus will finally agree to punch your ticket. Fortunately, that is not the gospel for which Jesus died. That is not the gospel Jesus taught. That is neither the faith nor the church which Jesus left his disciples. Love one another, Jesus said. That is how they will know that you are my disciples. Jesus commands us to continue to show his love for us. And his command continues to show his love for us. Jesus' disciples were a bunch of screw-ups, if we're being honest. If we're going to be counting sins, that is. And Jesus entrusted his church to them, not in spite of their screw-ups, not because they were screw-ups, but completely irregardless of their screw-ups. 
Jesus entrusted to his church, to his disciples, because they were his beloved. And we continue as Jesus' church simply because we are beloved. In the church, we don't raise ourselves or anyone else up. We don't raise ourselves up above anyone else. We accept the fact that we are beloved. And that is often the hardest task in our life, is to simply accept the fact that we are beloved. We accept that we are beloved of God. And we receive the great love that Jesus has for us, not because we are worthy or have earned his love, but simply because we are beloved. We believe in Jesus and accept his love and follow him, even when we can hardly believe, desperately clinging to this hope of Jesus' love for us, even when we give up that hope and faith in Jesus' love for us. Jesus' love catches us. Even and especially when we fall, Jesus' love catches us. So Jesus asks us, commands us, to accept his love. Accept that we are beloved of his and then live and give Jesus' grace. That is the community of the church. That is what we see or what Jesus would like for us to see when we look at the church. Now we often see the church as something else. We see the church as the vast institution, like how people viewed the Roman Catholic Church. But even the Roman Catholic Church is not an institution. The Roman Catholic Church has an institution. The Roman Catholic Church is a community of people who are beloved of Jesus. Period. Full stop. Paradigm shift of what is the Roman Catholic Church? Not an institution, but a community of people who are beloved of Jesus. And then the Roman Catholic Church has an institution, which has at times served it well, and at times has not served it well. Our church, too, is not an institution. But our church has an institution. We have this whole institutional structure in the Episcopal Church, but that institution is not the church. That institution is what the church has created, what we have created over the centuries to serve us. That institution is the tool we have constructed to help us order our lives. The institution is a tool of the church, but not the church itself. The church itself is the community of the beloved. Jesus' church is the gathered and often dispersed community. Those who no longer gather, those who no longer believe, but are still caught in Jesus' love. The church is that community of people who know and love and accept and forget and mess up with Jesus' love. The church are those who believe in Jesus amidst doubt or stop believing in Jesus and then fall into Jesus' grace. The church is not those who are climbing upward and striving to heaven. The church is those who are falling 
continually falling into Jesus' love and Jesus' grace. That is who we are as the church. We are Jesus' beloved. Not because of who we are, not because of what we do, but simply because we are Jesus' beloved. Amen. Amen.